0: From as long as uh, I can remember, I've loved football. And I have really always had a, more of a passion for NFL football. Yeah, I know I live in the Southeast. It's hard, you know. Everybody's talking about their college teams, and I'm talking about the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, but I am a Georgia Bulldog fan. Go, dogs. All right. Wow. Brave people. All right. So growing up, I lived in, in the Tampa Bay area when I was a kid, when I was a young kid. And uh, this was in the in the 1970s. I was born in that uh, in 1973 in the Tampa Bay area. And um, my grandfather um, he had uh, he had season tickets to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, if any of you are NFL fans and you know anything about the 1970s and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were awesome. No, they were horrible. I mean, they were terrible. In two seasons, they went 0-26 for two seasons in a row. No NFL team has ever lost that many games in a row, that, that many consecutive games in a row. And so, you know, I grew up in an era in a place where um, it, it was bad. It was bad football. It, it just just was. It was terrible football. Um, but then in, in 1980, we moved to Atlanta, and so I fell in love with the Atlanta Falcons. And that year, the Atlanta Falcons were actually pretty good. They, they had Steve Barkowski was a quarterback. And they, were, they had a decent team. And they made the playoffs. And that's when I really fell in love with football. I mean, um, Mike Ken, Jeff Van Note, Steve Barkowski, there were some greats on those uh, Atlanta Falcons teams in the 1980s, even though they didn't have much success. But I really, I really began to, to love the game of football. And, and, and I loved the, the 80s. How many of you um, watched football in the 1980s? How many of you watched football in the 1980s? Okay, we all just dated ourselves, first of all. But that was the glory years of NFL football, wasn't it? I mean, it really was. Hey, listen, ladies, I'm sorry. My analogy today is all football. I apologize. But last week we had fine China, so, you know, it's all fair, right? <laughs> the 1980s, was, it was just a great time in the NFL, I mean, you know, this, this was the, the years um, where there were some players that were some of the legends. Um, Earl Campbell, Walter Payton, Eric Dickerson uh, were some of the guys that I just loved. Joe Theismann, who, who can't forget Joe Theismann and that horrible scene uh, that uh, happened to him with uh, breaking his leg. And Joe Montana, I mean, one of the greats, Joe Montana. A uh, great football era of the 1980s, wasn't it? I mean, it just was. I mean, these guys were tough players, they were athletic, they were strong, they were disciplined. Um, they did all the right things um, to become great players. And I'm like anybody else, I, I loved, uh, loved watching quarterbacks, and there were some great quarterbacks in the era, era that uh, we uh, grew up in in the 1980s playing quarterback. I loved watching a good uh, running back, you know, uh, run the ball through just a a pile of, uh, you know, uh, uh, defensive linemen. Um, I I loved that. But my favorite position was always wide receiver. I love wide receivers, man. I mean, a guy that's 5'6 and was 145 pounds when I graduated high school, of course I would like a wide receiver, right? I love the position of wide receivers. I mean, these guys get in positions when they're sometimes like guys, you know, grabbing onto their jerseys and pulling them down. And in the middle of that, somehow they catch a ball. Take a look at some of these pictures. I mean, I love some of these. I'm a, I'm a huge Atlanta Falcons fan. So we got Julio Jones here. How many of you were Alabama fans? That's like one. That's beautiful. That that made made me proud as a Georgia Bulldog. Anyway, Julio Jones, the one-arm catch. He was playing the Jets. That was from last year. I think that's when he went down and had a season-ending foot injury after that play, so I'm sure he would love me pointing that out. Um, So Julio Jones there. We've got Megatron up here from the Detroit Lions making a catch. Look at that. He's got two guys right in front of him, and somehow he's receiving that catch, isn't he? Larry Fitzgerald there stretching out, making a one-arm catch. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? I mean, that's practically acrobatic, isn't it? I mean, it's just crazy what these guys do. And as a short guy, man, I just love wide receivers. It's just awesome to see what they do. And, and those guys are amazing. They're, they're really amazing. But, you know, it, it's more than their strength. It's more than their ability to, to kind of stretch out and, and their height. It's more than their height and their, their weight Some of these guys have just an amazing acrobatic uh, ability to catch a ball, but it's more than that. It's more than their agility and 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 the way that they the toughness with which they play the game. Good wide receivers, I want you to capture this because there's actually, believe it or not, a spiritual connection here somewhere. I promise. I'm not just talking about football in the middle of the beginning of draft week, but um, a good wide receiver always puts himself in a position. To catch the pass, doesn't he? He always puts himself in a position to catch a pass, even if he's got a couple safeties all over him. He always puts himself in a position to be able to catch the pass that a quarterback throws. He's right there. How does he do it? Well, there's a couple things he does. Number one, he comes into the game and he knows the game plan. He absolutely knows what's happening in the game plan. I mean, these guys are smart, they're smart. A good wide receiver knows exactly where to start on the line of scrimmage. I mean, if he's on the line of scrimmage and the the position is that he's supposed to be to the left of the quarterback and he lines up on the right of the quarterback, he's not going to be in a position to catch the ball. And so good wide receivers know what position to be in to be able to catch the ball. Good wide receivers know the route that they're supposed to run. They know that they've got to be in position A if they're going to have an opportunity to catch that pass. And the quarterback knows that he's got to lead that receiver as he goes to position A. And so he knows the route that he needs to run. And my dad taught me this. You know, I, My mom was completely and utterly opposed to me playing any kind of organized football. I have no idea why. But she was completely and utterly opposed, so here's what I did. My dad was a big football fan, and, um, and, sh- and so my dad taught me how to catch and how to throw a football, and the very first thing that he taught me in terms of catching was always keep what on the ball? Your eye on the ball. And see, good wide receivers know that they always need to keep their eye on the ball. Man, I love wide receivers. I never snapped one snap of organized football because my mom was so opposed to it, and probably there were some, you know, uh, things there with my size that probably prevented me from being able to be a wide receiver. But I played where I could. I played out in the yard. I played in the street with my buddies. I played in the house with my dad. I mean, we had a lot of broken lamps in our house growing up because my dad and I played football. And I always wanted to play wide receiver. I absolutely love it. But these guys, it's more than skill. It's more than athletic ability. They know where they need to be. And i got to tell you something. In terms of our relationship with Christ, in terms of our connection with God, in terms of having grace in our lives, there is an aspect that we, in terms of receiving daily grace, need to know where we need to be to receive God's grace in our lives on a daily basis. We began last week, we kind of kicked things off, no pun intended there. Um, we kicked things off last week talking about grace in Second Chances and what grace is. And we defined grace. And we talked about the fact that there's a saving grace that God offers. Here's how this goes. We have faith in the grace that God offers through Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Salvation, we find salvation through, through grace, through faith. Christ alone. Absolutely nothing else plays any part in it. It's us believing the work of God through his son Jesus on the cross. That's it. There's nothing that needs to be added to the saving grace of God. And in so many ways, the only part that we play in that is trusting God. And over the course of the last two weeks, on Easter Sunday and last week, um, we had about 15 people raise their hand and say, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And that is awesome, isn't it? That is the best news that we could have. Absolutely. And so they received the grace of God, the saving grace of God in their lives. But there's also an aspect of God's grace that is needed for daily living. I don't know about you, but I need God's grace every single day. You know why? I don't know about you. I'm flawed. You can ask my wife, Cynthia. She's right back there. She'll be glad to talk to you afterwards. I am flawed. She's raising her hand. She is willing to take appointments over that one, I think. Anyway, I am flawed. We all are flawed, and we need God's grace on a daily basis. But as much as we play no part in the saving grace of God, we play a certain part in terms of receiving God's grace on a daily basis. Because if we don't have a game plan, if we're not in the right position, if we don't run the right route, and if we don't have our eye on the ball, we have no chance of receiving God's daily grace. In our lives, Before we dive in, would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for your grace that you offer through Christ, your son. And God, I thank you so much for those who indicated about 15 or so over the past couple weeks that um, they accepted you as their savior. And I pray that they would reach out and they would get involved in things like starting point and life groups and relationship with other Christ followers so that they can anchor themselves in you. But God, I pray today for those who are in here who are struggling in their life to have daily grace in their circumstances. God, God, they feel like they can't ever get that second chance in terms of just daily living. I, I pray that whatever is broken in their life whatever is pulling them down, whatever thing in their past um, is playing a, a, a part in their future, God, I pray today that they would put that to rest and that they would be able to put themselves in a position to receive your daily grace in their lives. Thank you for the work that you've done and the work that you're doing in the life of this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's begin where we left off last week, with a definition of grace. What is grace? It's simply this, undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy. Just naturally with our sin, with our flaws, with our failures, we don't deserve heaven. But God intervened in human history, and he said that we can have heaven if we put our trust in Jesus. That was the message of last week. But daily grace from God, as freely as it's given, is something that we participate in. Let's talk about how we receive a second chance in terms of daily grace. First of all, we must fully understand God's game plan for grace, God's plan of grace for us. You can take a look at your notes, by the way, this morning, or you can access them online. We must fully understand God's plan of grace for us. Listen, I want you to hear this. It um, doesn't matter where you are in your faith walk. If you came in here today and you're not a believer, maybe even you're, you're skeptical of all of this and church and the whole, like, Christianity thing, um, or whether you've just become a Christ follower recently and this is all new, you're kind of returning, in, uh, you know, or, or maybe new, or you're returning in your faith, or whether you've been a Christ follower for a really long time, um, here is a basic foundational principle we have to begin each and every day with a full awareness and an understanding of the role of God's grace in our lives. And please, please don't miss this. I think far too many, even mature Christians, even people who've been Christ followers for decades, miss this principle. They miss this foundational principle that we must fully understand God's plan of grace for our lives. And when we come into the game of life without understanding the game plan, we're not going to be in a position to receive that grace on a daily basis. There are three aspects of the game plan that I want to point out and give clarity to. The first one is a review from last week. And that is, is when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior our, and place our faith in what he did for us on the cross at that moment salvation becomes ours by grace through faith in Christ alone We've talked about it a lot So i'm not going to go into a lot of detail here But we've talked about that a lot And if you're in here today and you've never put your faith in jesus at the end of this message I'll, I'll explain to you how you can do that When we accept jesus as our savior and place our faith in him for what he did in the cross at that moment Salvation becomes ours by grace through faith in christ alone john three sixteen. Most of you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in his name should not perish but have eternal life. So the first part of the game plan that we need to understand is that when we believe, we are saved at that moment. There's nothing more that needs to be added to the story. Secondly, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and place our faith in what he did for us on the cross, at that moment, we are forgiven for our sins for all times. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and place our faith in what he did for us on the cross, at that moment, we are forgiven for our sins for all time. You see, a lot of you maybe grew up in a culture, in a religious culture, or maybe a non-religious culture that kind of indicated or gave the impression or maybe even quite blatantly said that there are some sins that you can't be forgiven for. I want to tell you today, and I want to clear this up in your mind, that's not true. You are completely forgiven of your sins past, present, and future The prophet Isaiah spoke about this in Isaiah 43, 25, when he was recording the words of God. God says this, I I am he who blots out your transgressions, that's a big word for sin, by the way, for my own sake. And he says this, I will not remember your sins. I will not remember your sins, Isaiah 43, verse 25. John says this in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, there is not a sin that you've committed or a sin that you are committing or a sin that you will commit that God won't put past you in your life. Listen, your spouse may remember all your sins. They probably will. Your parents might remember all of your sins. They might. Your kids, definitely parents, will remember all the things that you do that you mess up. And let me tell you, they remind us of that often, don't they? The world may remember the things that you do that are wrong or flawed or steeped in failure. But God does not remember them once you've accepted him as your Savior. Thirdly, and maybe most importantly for some of you in here today, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and place our faith in Him for what He did on the cross, we are eternally, I want you to see that, we are eternally saved for all time. Do you hear that? When we accept Jesus as our Savior and place our faith in Him, we are eternally saved for all time. Pastors and theologians call this, once you're saved, you're always saved. L- listen, I want you to hear this this morning. For some of you, this is going to be incredibly freeing in your walk with God, and your spiritual journey. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, at the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, There is nothing, nothing, nothing that you can do to escape the gift that he's given you. You cannot become unsaved. Are you with me this morning? You can't become unsaved. John speaks of this. Jesus spoke of it. John recorded it. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And in verse 28 of John 10, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You know what that word never means? You know what I'm going to say, don't you? It means never, ever. You'll never perish. Listen, some of you grew up in the kind of environment Where you put your faith and your trust in Jesus and someone along the way said, yeah, but you can lose it. You can't lose it. The Bible is clear that once we become Christ followers, we are saved. That gift of heaven is secure eternally. And that's great news, isn't it? That's great news. And next week we're going to talk about the tension of Living with freedom, but also living according to what God wants us to live. We'll talk a little bit about it today and finish it up next week. Now, those are foundational elements that we must understand to understand where our salvation lies and where the grace of God lies. If we don't have an understanding of that, then nothing else that we do in our walk with God or our spiritual journey will make any sense at all if we don't understand those principles. That we are completely forgiven That we are saved at the moment of salvation. There's nothing else that needs to be added to it. And that once we are saved, we are always saved. Point number two. We must begin every day. Look at point number two. It'll be up on the screens. When we begin every day in the right position, we must begin every day in the right position with God. You see, just like those great receivers have to begin on the right place on the line of scrimmage, we have to begin in the right position with God every day to receive, not a saving grace, but to receive the daily grace that we can have from him. Look at what Paul tells the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. He says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come maybe a very familiar verse but I want you to think about it for a moment he says if anyone is in Christ first of all that's describing our position you see once we become Christ followers we are in Jesus Christ the problem is is that most of us with our spiritual journey with our walk with him or whatever you want to call it most of the time we forget that we are in Christ so when we forget that we are in him We wallow in our guilt, and we wallow in our misery, and we stay down here kind of in the bottom part of who we are as people, and and we get so used to it, we kind of like it, don't we? I mean, what do they say? Misery loves company? (laughs) Like sometimes in the human condition is, is that we love to be miserable, and we want everybody else to join us. Come on, be miserable with me. And so we live in this guilt. We live in this old self. Paul says that we are in Christ and that we are a new creation. That word new that he used in the Greek literally means an original or, a, or of a kind never seen before. You see, when you become a Christ follower, when you become in Christ, you are an original. You're brand new. And the problem is, is we don't think about that every day, do we? we? We kind of forget about that. Like, yeah, that happened to me years ago. Now I'm old because of my sin and my failure and all the junk of life. What's happened to me? The things that people have done to me. The things that I've done to myself. And so when we forget about this newness that we have in Christ, we just stay down here in the old self, guilt, shame, failures. We regurgitate it over and over and over. New means an original, a kind never seen before. The word old comes from a Greek word, archios, which means ancient. It's ancient. Listen, the old self is ancient. That sin that you committed yesterday is ancient. That's good news, isn't it? You see, there's an incredible good news of understanding our position when Paul says the old has passed, the ancient has passed, even if it was yesterday, even if it was a moment ago. God came and he died for your sins, past, present, and future, even the ones you committed just a few minutes ago. It's ancient. I deal with this a lot. I admit. I deal with guilt and shame and regret and fear and anxiety, and I have to wake up every day asking for God to give me a new perspective that I am in him, and then I am a new creation in him. That, listen, Christ follower, that is your starting position every day. That's where you need to begin. And for some of you, maybe you need to take that verse and like, you know, put it, put it on your iPhone or your device or, you know, a a three by five card. Years ago, we used these things called three by five cards. Now we have devices for stuff, but you know, put it, put it on your phone and read it. Um, put it in the car and read it in the car, although keep your eyes on the road, okay? I don't endorse reading something in the car, okay? Put it on your bathroom you know, mirror or your kitchen and your refrigerator and read that every day. Let it soak in. Put it where you work, although I don't endorse not working at work, so make sure you're doing your job, okay? But read that and remember that you are a new creation, Listen to this one. This is a great one from the book of Lamentations. The writer says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, everybody else in your life, including the world, including what you hear on TV and on the radio and on Netflix, and at movies may be telling you that you're horrible, that you're terrible, and that you can live in this old way, Jesus Christ says there is a new way to live. Number three, we must continue to run the right route with grace in our lives. You see, not only do we need to understand the game plan, Not only do we need to have the right position in everyday living and when it comes to grace, but we have to run the right route. Here's how this goes. We often will have something that will affect us, that will bring us down into the mire of life and pull us into our shame and our failures and our guilt and our misery. And our tendency is to live by the old route. And a lot of you grew up, and what you lived in was called legalism. So if you have the old route, the way, or you're, you're kind of down here in the mire, the old route says that you have to live according to all of these rules to get out of that rut that you're in. Jesus came to complete the law, the old way of living, so that we can live a new way. Now hang on with me. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus completed all of that old way of living, including for some of you, the rules and the legalism that you live under. Now, I'm not saying that rules aren't important. We have to have rules for living. We live with other people in a society, and we have to have rules for living. We'll talk about some of the tension of that over over the course of the next couple weeks and how we have freedom with that. But what Jesus did is he came to fulfill the old law, and then he gave us a new way to live. He gave us a new route to run. Paul speaks of this to the Galatians. We talked about last week how these, these churches in this area of Asia Minor and Galatia, um, they, they were all new Christians, but they were being drawn in by some of these people. They were called Judaizers, and they were saying, you know what? Yes, salvation is through, through faith in, in God's grace through Christ alone, but there's more that needs to be added to it. Paul is really saying that that is just not the case. Look at Galatians 3. Paul says this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, n- new Christ followers, um, God gave you salvation. Are you now trying to like make that better by yourself, by works, or by living according to the old? The old law, verse four, he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then he answers the question. He says, just as Abraham believed God, believe, there's the key word, believe God. And it was counted to him as righteousness see, our tendency when we go through trials, when we go through things in our life that pull us down into the mire, is to go back to the old. That's what the Galatians were doing. But Jesus came to complete the old. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three different types of laws here. Some of you who are like detailed theologians here will love this. There were the ceremonial laws, there were the civil laws, and there were the moral laws. The moral laws were the Ten Commandments that God gave us, We're going to talk about the tension of what all that means over the course of the next few weeks. But the ceremonial law and the civil law, Jesus came to complete that. And Paul was telling the Galatians, they don't have to live that way anymore. And for some of you, you go back to living the old way. And in doing so, you put yourself under legalism and you don't experience true freedom In Christ. Jesus gave us the new way to live. He gave us the new route to run. He said it in Matthew 22. I love this passage. Hang with me here. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees, those were some of the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, when they heard that he silenced the Sadducees, another group of religious leaders, they gathered together. They all came together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. I kind of thought in my mind, That's what lawyers do, right? They test people. If you're a lawyer, that's not meant to slam you. It just is what it is. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the Old Testament law? And he said that to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and prophets. And so the Old Testament that Jesus came to fulfill or complete was ceremonial. It was civil. It was moral. Jesus said they all boil down to two things. Two things. Love God and love people. That's your new route. That's your new route. But if we truly love God, if we truly understand him, then we will live according to his character. We'll talk about that next week. Paul emphasizes this in Galatians 5:14. He says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the right route to daily grace and being in a position to receive God's grace isn't a checklist. It's not a workflow or a formula. It's simply being in a position that we love God and we love people. So we understand a game plan. We put ourselves in the right position. We run the right route. And lastly, we must continue To keep our eye on the ball. Listen, if we're going to receive God's grace in our lives, if we're going to be in a position to receive his grace, we've got to keep our eye on the ball. The problem is, and I think this is one of the hardest ones to do, is the world out there wants us to have our eye on something else. They want it to be on wealth, They want it to be on how much we accomplish in our lives. They want us to to put our, our, our worth or have our eye on the prize of materialism, how much we can collect. They want us to put our eyes on relationships, that relationships are the most important things in life. You know what the most important thing in life is for a Christ follower? It's heaven. It's to keep our eyes on heaven, to keep our eyes upward, to be focused on the things of God and what we can do to play a part in the things of God. Paul puts this beautifully in the book of Philippians. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but he says, I press on. To make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's that position in Christ, right? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. He goes back to this whole idea. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You know what he's saying right here? Is he saying even those of you who have been Christ followers for decades need to be reminded of this, and maybe even more so than those who are new Christians, that we've got to keep our eye on the prize, and that's God and his Son, Jesus, and our eternal home in heaven. He says in verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. I can connect with that one. And their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is what? Heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. You see, when we look at those great receivers of the NFL, we think, man, it's athletic ability, it's strength, it's power, it's agility, it's acrobatics, and all those things are important. And if you look at these guys, you know that. I mean, I would not make a good wide receiver in the NFL. I'd barely make it in the wee league. But anyway, it also has to do with the fact that they know the game plan when they come in, that they're in the right position when they start, that they run the right route, and that they keep their eye on the ball. Listen, you may be in here today and you say, yeah, but I look at other Christians and I go, I'll never attain what they have attained. I'll never be like This person that I know, I have no chance of being like them in terms of my walk with God. And so you make the decision that because you don't think you'll ever attain it, or you don't feel like a worthy Christ follower, you're just going to allow yourself to be pulled down in the old and into the mire. You know how I know this? Because I've gone through this in my own life. I look around and I see all these strong Christians that I admire and I go, there's no way. They receive grace all the time in their lives. I could never get there. I want you to hear this today. It doesn't matter where you are in your faith walk. Through Christ, you can have the ability to receive God's grace on a daily basis. You don't have to live in the guilt and the shame and in the sin and in the mire that you've lived in. You can live daily receiving His grace if you're in a position to do that in your life. We pray with me this morning. God, I thank you for those who are in here today who have been a Christ follower for a long time. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus for those who maybe right now in their lives, um, they're struggling to get out of the mire of the old and press on towards the new. And because of that, they're having a difficult time receiving your grace in their lives. If you're here today and you've been a Christian for some time and you just really are honest with God and, and me this morning and just say, man, I, I'm really struggling in this area. If you're in here today and you're, you're saying, Todd, I am struggling to receive God's grace. In my life, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just gonna have you raise your hand. I'm not gonna pull you up here or anything. I just wanna pray for you. If you're struggling in this area of receiving God's daily grace, just raise your hand for a moment. I wanna pray for you. If you're a Christ follower, there's a few that have their hands up. Any others? Say, man, I just need prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Any others? Say, I just, I really am struggling with this and I need for God to do a work in my life to receive God's grace. God, I thank you for those who have their hands raised right now and they're struggling in this area. God, help them to understand the game plan. Help them to understand what it means to be in you. Help them to understand the work that you do in our lives and God, I pray that you would allow them to be in a position where they can receive your grace on a daily basis. Now, if you're in here today and you walked in and maybe you've been skeptical of the whole God thing, and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you this morning that you can have that kind of saving grace. You can receive that type of saving grace that God offers through His Son Jesus just by believing in Him, confessing and admitting that you're a sinner and believing in Him. And if you're in here today and you want to ask Jesus, to be your savior. If you want to know that when you die, you're going to heaven. I'm just going to invite you to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud. You can pray it silently to God if you believe it. And it's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for the grace you offer through Jesus. Today, I admit that I'm flawed. And that I can't have salvation through any other way other than Jesus Christ. And today, I put my faith, my belief, my trust in you. And today, I receive the free gift of eternal life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here today and you prayed that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand and keep it up for a moment. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you anyone else this morning say I prayed that prayer along with you Todd. thank you so much you can put your hands down God I thank you for those who made commitments to you today God I, I pray that you would help anchor them in their faith God I, would, I pray that you would help them to get into starting point that starts this week God that you would help them to follow you in what you command us to do And God, I pray that you would help them to be anchored in you and that, God, they can experience the grace that you offer not only for salvation, not only for heaven, but, God, the grace of daily living. And I pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.